That's what it's gonna be. <laughs> And welcome to Tube Night, our generic TV show podcast. We are two TV show enthusiasts with no background or training in TV or film, but we love watching shows and then talking about them while laughing at our own jokes. This season, we're watching Star Trek, the original series, which I have seen before. And I haven't. And this week we watched episode four, which is called Where No Man Has Gone Before. And because I happened to look this up, I'm going to be sharing some things I learned, which is that uh, this was apparently the true pilot of the show because the cage just did not test well with the series that they were, or with the network that they were trying to sell the series to, which is interesting to me, considering the order in which we've watched these things and Mm -hmm. sort of the impressions we shared immediately after watching Where No Man Has Gone Before versus watching The Cage. And, you know, again, from the perspective of someone who's familiar with Kirk, and someone who wasn't and I think even in the second episode we've talked about how because we considered that was automatically the alternative of pilot yeah how, how we thought which worked better as a pilot and for what reasons and so it's interesting that we're basically back on that same square again mm-hmm. with this episode because this was the true um pilot the, true, made for the, show. the real <laughs> pilot yes. yeah um and apparently it was chosen from um a, a list of three options and this was the one they went with and yeah and and I think it was NBC was what I read was super into it and apparently it sold super well so it sounds mm. like they gave Gene Roddenberry everything they wanted for the show and like almost no notes essentially and yeah that's what got this TV show greenlit for all of us to watch um yeah, that's that's your intro to where no man has come before, and what uh-huh. an episode it was! Yay! Yeah, <laughs> and it's um. <laughs> massive underwhelmingness, in my opinion. But yeah, that's just me, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, no, no, no. Like, um, we'll get into it. Uh, but like, so one of the first thing. Okay, well, so like aesthetically, to start aesthetically, um, the if you didn't know that it was a pilot, you'd still be tipped off that something weird is going on because the outfits are different. Like they're not, mm-hmm. they're back in like a completely different sort of outfit thing going on compared to like the last two episodes. Um, Spock is in a yellow sweater, which is, which is strange. Um, we don't have Bones. Bones has disappeared from this episode, but we do have Scotty, which is really weird now to think about it. We have Scotty in, the, in this episode, but we haven't seen him in the two previous mm-hmm. episodes, which technically were filmed afterwards. Um, we don't have Janice. Where's Janice? Um, that's upsetting. Oh yeah, I forgot about Janice. Right? Where's Janice? Um, the yeoman. She's key. I want more Janice. I know. Yeah. Um, and Spock is back to sort of his shouty shenanigans, um, which I'm not a huge fan of. He was very shouty <laughs> in the cage, and he's kind of shouting in this one too. And I'm like, bruh, like that's that's enough. Enough of the shouting. Stop it. <laughs> no, no nuance to Spock. He must grow into that. That's going to be his arc through the whole series. Right. He's not like. Right? true true spock in this episode he's still feeling the character out yeah. a bit um, actually that was one of the things that i guess we'll also talk about later that i don't know if i loved that you know how like human centric we've kind of touched on this before but like how yeah. human centric everything is and it makes sense for this show to kind of take that um direction because of 
where it's set, who the protagonists are, what the mission statement is essentially. But like through the course of this episode, you're essentially supposed to watch Spock begin to acknowledge his, you know, human ancestor and be more human in his emotions, et cetera, and how that's like this valued trait. And it is valued in certain contexts. But in this particular episode, if we had just done what Spock said, we'd be done within yeah. like, you know, half the time of what it actually took for everything to happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so logic like works. Like why why are we anti yeah. <laughs> anti logic in favor of emotion here? Especially yeah. in space. Space is scary. There's a lot of stuff out there to kill you. Why are we <laughs> not following logic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a tangent but yeah, yeah on the on the subject of spock not yeah. sure i like this push for be human be emotional yeah yeah um i think like so uh we can get started on like reviewing the episode as usual yes. total spoiler alert um if you haven't watched it already we're definitely going to be telling you all about it um so stop now and watch it or just let us tell you all about it you know <laughs> it'll be completely accurate we're not gonna miss any details of course we're not gonna that's get right. anything wrong of course because you like, know yeah. how could we possibly <laughs> that's right and you know we don't like we don't mix up names of yeah anything ever <laughs> i know exactly who everyone is i know yep. everything about engineering in this world i yeah. know all the physics flight physics Yep. travel terms like yeah it'll be super accurate probably yeah. more accurate than watching this <laughs> exactly like if anything we're canon the show yeah. isn't canon we are canon <laughs> pretty much but yeah on that note <laughs> yeah <laughs> it opens this episode opens with spock and kirk playing 3d chess which is great because i'm like i was kind of wondering where that was in the previous episodes we've seen it in previous episodes but to open with it i think it's hilarious um and there's that's what I noticed too is there's a bit of banter going back and forth and this feels like a bit of a pilot because we get it out right in the right in the beginning Spock isn't human mm -hmm. um or not fully human he has a human ancestor um but he's definitely an alien which I don't like it's alluded to in the previous episodes like Uhura talks about yeah. like what do you do on your planet um so it's definitely alluded to, but here it's just like, nope, Spock is an alien. He, yeah. Check out those eyebrows. Um, and Kirk kicks his butt, butt at chess, which also always strikes me as kind of strange because Spock is supposed to be like logical and yet he just got his ass handed to him. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, and especially in a game like chess, like, I, I guess we've already talked about this a little bit and <laughs> complete not chess experts. Like, yeah. isn't, isn't it a valuable asset to be logical? Like a lot of things are... I guess how how amazing is Kirk's illogicality? I'm, yeah, I'm right. calling that a word <laughs> that uh, Spock just absolutely has no idea what he's gonna do and like is caught off guard so frequently. Like how many illogical moves are like chaos? Is yeah, not, like human beings aren't capable of like true chaos, are we? Like we have no. some structure still. <laughs> like I remember going to a painting class and we were supposed to be painting stars in the background and we're trying to make it random. It's not and, gonna work. <laughs> yeah, the, the instructor was basically telling everybody that you know you can try and make it random, but eventually you're either gonna make it like equidistant across the whole background. So you have to basically fight the urge to do what you think is yeah random. Yeah. And you know, like that sort of general perception of how human beings work. And Kirk is very human. Remember, this is his mm -hmm. like strongest suit in a lot of circumstances. How yeah. can you be that random? Like, this is yeah. not a plot point. This is not a big deal, but I'm not okay with it. No! <laughs> <laughs> Calm 
combinatorially speaking, there can't be that many surprise moves in mm-hmm. in regular chess, but maybe 3D chess ups it by an order of magnitude. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I will acknowledge, I think, yeah. but I will acknowledge, maybe we're confusing logic for like um, seeing moves coming because maybe, lo- maybe Spock's failing is he can only see one long-term process. And right. so yeah. if Kirk changes up a move, Kurt or Spock is not well versed enough in 3D chess to see the logical progression of steps there. Right. Maybe he only knows how from step one to step whatever how it yeah. needs to go. I yeah. will acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is we're just gonna come back to this in the future though with the 3D chess. I want to see Spock hand Kirk his yes. ass. Yes. I want to see that. Yeah. Don't like Kirk just being the best at everything. No. Because, like that whole. He's a- hero trope right like where you don't even have to try you're just innately amazing and innately smart and innately physically talented and like in real life people work so so hard to get to that level of like a command over their skill set right yeah so if you're building on natural talent not to say nobody has natural talent but like It's still a little bit like, especially in adventure stories that, again, yeah. we're talking about 60s, 80s, whenever this aired. Sorry, I still don't know. But, 60s. You know, <laughs> 60s. Um, at that time, you know, young, impressionable children are seeing just people being amazing at everything without yeah, even trying, totally. basically. Like, how does that set you up to have, yeah. like, you know, talents that you build on later? Right. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but yeah. Don't, I don't love know. No, a hero he who's feels... too good at everything. Yeah, right. Um what is it so there's the mary sue which is like the female character is the best at everything and i think people have argued that kirk is a gary sue <laughs> um i might be making this up so i'll have to I'll, you know what maybe for the next episode i will come back for the definition of gary sue but i have the sneaking suspicion that kirk is considered a gary sue <laughs> i love that and if it's not a thing i need it to be a thing right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. okay That's so amazing kirk gary sue kicks uh spock's ass in 3d chess but in the background we're told that the ship has detected some sort of signal um and they eventually uh come across uh, a beacon basically it's an old style mm-hmm. ship recorder that gets object ejected objected ejected um when the ship is in danger or when it gets destroyed and because there is no other like there's no ship in the area the ship is destroyed and we know that it went missing 200 years ago it's the ss Mm -hmm. valiant went disappeared and now we have the ship's recorder kind of like the black box i guess Mm -hmm. um or r2d2 but yeah i mean yeah like it looks like r2d2 but i guess it's supposed to be functionally speaking the Mm -hmm. uh the black box um, and they beam it on board and apparently the tapes are pretty badly destroyed, but there's still something, there's like memory banks or something and Spock is able to interpret it and um, we're called to the bridge and Spock's listening into his earpiece that okay that I love too. like I can just imagine if we got a black box out of a plane like you're listening to it but then there's also like, I don't know data like mm-hmm. altitude or something mm-hmm. i think like maybe that's what's been destroyed but it just strikes me as so weird that he's like listening to a telephone receiver mm-hmm. and relating it all to everybody else i had a question here why does he ha- like is it in a different language is, is he reading bits and bytes or whatever or yeah, right like, why is couldn't like, they just have it on speakerphone speakerphone yeah why is he <laughs> is he like translating the um star trek equivalent of like morse code encoding or is it like it's encoded 
in some compressed format and he's like because like wouldn't you expect someone who's on this ship and who's like successful as an adventurer on a spaceship to be versed in basic codes like right what is it that spot like what is he listening to understand what spock's role is because he's a science officer okay (laughs) but like what is like in other episodes you have uhura being clearly a communications person so if she were translating okay kind of make yeah. sense i guess from again i'm so novice to space adventure so maybe yeah. i don't understand the roles no but this is like it's very much a pilot episode because we don't even have okura at this point we just have yeah. spock kind of running around doing everything and then scotty's in there and we somehow lose him after this episode in two and three that doesn't make sense but you know <laughs> what i mean um so like yeah there's definitely still some fleshing out going in this show but yeah so spock yeah. is back to his shouty shouty ways interpreting um basically doing uhura's job how dare you um she is a much more enjoyable person to listen to at this point um and uh, we get some indication that uh there was a wave or something oh they're like it's, it sounds like a riptide it literally sounds like a i think we skipped something line. hold on i think we skipped oh, something. Did we? so yeah so as soon as the uh, as soon as this object is received before he starts listening to it um kirk because i think they're having trouble listening to it or he's still spots only managed to convey to them that the tapes are super burnt mm. and so kirk at this point is like well we have to forge ahead because you know we have to save the peoples or like somebody else is going to go in this direction and we basically right. need to figure out what's going to happen yeah so at the same time prior to spock giving them all these deets um they encounter this like purpley pink swirly force oh, field right. yeah. boundary type thing and yeah. they're all like sketched out by it so he has his um crew person i can't remember the name the flight person i guess mitchell mm-hmm. who um is controlling the ship's movement to some extent asks him to hold the warp speed and in this process i think is when spock start, starts telling them about what's happened on valiant and this includes um also an introduction to all the other department heads on the cruise ship which is very yeah. piloty so i didn't catch all their titles and names but there's like the science officer like you said there's something to do with like biology or wildlife yeah well or so there's is it um it's mark i forget his last piper maybe dr mark piper who's basically the stand-in for bones at this point and he's chief of life sciences sulu's there and he's chief of like biological something yeah i missed I that yeah i thought and then you also get introduced, there yeah and then you get introduced to elizabeth daner who it took me so long to understand what her name was i don't know if it was because <laughs> i just wasn't paying attention yeah. or i don't know what it was but essentially her name is elizabeth daner as i found out like <laughs> 10 minutes before the episode ended <laughs> do you watch with subtitles though because yes. i definitely watch with subtitles <laughs> yes and like maybe it was because i was trying to take notes at the same time and uh-huh. they were distracting me but i just did not catch her name all i heard her referred to as was doctor <laughs> doctor not even Dana. <laughs> doctor lady so doctor person doctor. well if you read my notes most of the references to her are just doctor and you don't you have to know which doctor we're talking about because <laughs> i also didn't know piper's name or like didn't associate piper with the medical doctor for yeah. like a little bit yeah but anyway we get introduced to elizabeth dater and she's a, a psychiatrist by training who's interested in studying the crew's response to emergencies which we need more of i think on these kinds of trips yeah they're traumatizing <laughs> yeah yeah and like the only reason i bring up all of this like setup is because also at this point gary mitchell the guy who's like controlling the movement tries to hit on her 
And so like oh, yeah. you, you get this like interaction between them. And this is of significance as we'll learn later in the sense that they're going to be more closely interacting with each other as the episode goes on. Yeah. But he tries to hit on her and she's like not okay with it. She says something to him, which was a pretty great rebut- rebuttal, yeah. and rebuff of what of his advances. And he calls her a refrigerator or something. Yeah, like, like a, a walking refrigerator unit or something. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah it was um, it was very like, whoa, this was made in a in a different time. <laughs> different time. And it even gets addressed later. And she even says, like, you know, female professionals often overcompensate. overcompensate. The you know, the implication being that like if you're a professional woman and you have to be a bit more like aloof and standoffish in order to be taken yeah. seriously which is like well I mean you're not wrong but you can also just kind of like do what I do and let's just go a little crazy and scare the shit out of everybody instead so also, <laughs> I just find it interesting that again because of the circumstances of the time or like the the product of the time sort of approach man I can't talk basically she's a product of her time yeah, and totally. she's like she says she views it as overcompensating whereas to me it's just like normal not to be if you're not, not okay with. with someone hitting on you then you're yeah. okay with someone hitting on you like why is that viewed as like something she almost like unspokenly feels like she needs to apologize for as a professional woman overcompensating like basically yeah. sort of like using her position and her experiences professionally as an excuse to justify that behavior because I guess she doesn't feel comfortable owning up to it or she was like super into him and just felt in that moment she couldn't like have sex with him on the bridge I don't know yeah that's kind of how I interpret it as like she was totally interested and just not willing to engage yeah I don't know again like it's it's very much 2021 evaluation of not 2021 storytelling but yeah didn't love the world over word overcompensate because I do sometimes hear it in the context of like PC culture and about how you know we go too far with being thoughtful about the words we use and stuff and like overcompensating quote unquote and many thoughts on the subject that we don't need to get into now but like maybe it's a word that doesn't like sit well with me in any yeah. context yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and so so yeah so they have this like awkward interaction and basically Mitchell to me is being set up as a bit of an ass and yeah. it, that's that fits with the rest yeah. of him yeah, yeah. And the rest of the episode um and yeah and then Spock's listening to what he's what the message on the the tapes that are burnt and he's having a hard time figuring it out but like he's basically like piecing together it sounds like fragments and yeah. he talks about how Valiant encountered something and it didn't seem to be super clear what that might be yeah. um, then there's like talk of ESP which is extrasensory perception mm-hmm. and used to be something I was terrified as of a kid because I think I watched like one episode of X-Files and it was <laughs> <out> forever <laughs> it was the scariest show in the world to me which I'm sure if I watched it today I'd be like this is what scared me okay <laughs> oh, oh I totally agree um my parents used to watch x-files and I would hear the music of the opening credits terrifying and, yeah and like I never saw an episode but the music was creepy enough and I think my parents talked about it and, and mentioned episodes and it was just like it was horrifying right like you don't see it and your mind just makes it a hundred times yeah. worse than it actually is yeah um but then like I watched it um as an undergraduate <laughs> was like well okay (laughs) it's a little bit dorky and I think you need to be an adult to appreciate it and like for me if I were to just like dive into this scary memory a little bit more it's like a very particular memory I have as well I think I'm like nine years old we went to visit my aunt and they were her sons who are significantly older than us were watching this and this was in you know this is in India where we have power outages all the time so I think they were watching the tv 
in the dark for some reason, like <laughs> on a backup generator or something to that effect. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they used to enjoy teasing my my sister and I so much because we used to get scared of we were little girls, right? Yeah. And so, like, I think I might have asked, and I was also like a very like morbid child in some ways, but like I was asking them, like, are aliens real? Could this really happen? Right. And one of them yeah. Was like, yeah, definitely. This is real. Like, this could happen. So. <laughs> permanent fear was established that night in this dark room watching a show that I probably should not have been watching <laughs> and me leaving it believing all of this was like it was real happening right now as we speak around us and it was totally. just like waiting to happen to me yeah but yeah so ESP that's what I think <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out there <laughs> pretty much that and ghosts is like yeah. my my association with the concept of extrasensory perception but yeah, yeah. so this cruise ship was, was looking that up and there were seven crewmen who were affected by their you know encounter with this object that we don't fully understand um but then that changes to only six of them having passed away and one seems to recover and that's yeah. when the ship's captain starts to you know star trek version of google esp essentially yeah <laughs> <laughs> look up ESP scores and you then hear in the background something to the effect of the captain giving orders for his ship to be destroyed and everybody sounds really distressed and Spock's like there's no way this is real something's wrong something's yeah. off no way the captain would have asked for his ship to be destroyed He's self-destructed yeah <laughs> yeah and I thought that was like a very interesting thing to say because like in that context with no information as an audience member you're like that's pretty much messed up like I believe Spock and then like it doesn't take very long to sort of understand why the captain felt that way and be like yeah yo he was smart like he yeah <laughs> he he was right he yeah. definitely he made a good call yeah. good call everybody fucking dead but he made a good call yeah um and so all they knew for sure at that point was that the ship was destroyed they're yeah. not sure why they're not sure how and so at that point is when Kirk makes the call to go into the great purple pink unknown because yeah. it's reason enough to like continue looking into this so yeah. that you can you know save other ships from having the same experience in the future and so they make this like big show and I again this is probably makes much more sense in the context of this being a pilot but it makes much more they make much more of an effort to clarify like what kind of warp they're using and holding right. it and moving and stuff like yeah. that. So it's a little it's bit, more, a bit more like turn dropping. Yeah. 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 Like you're getting introduced to all the concepts versus yeah. the cage. Like I think we spoke about how it was you're in the middle of a story. And I, yeah, I, I like that. I did yeah. definitely like that. I agree. Yeah. So I did, I did not need all the like, this is how warp works. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. I wonder if like part of the reason that the cage didn't really sell the show yeah. because like it was asking people to just go along with it and we're okay with that like mm -hmm. we you know we've said we both enjoy that but a network might be like you know this is too much to ask an average audience yeah. like you need to put a bit more name dropping which is kind of a shame because it's like well like maybe people need to work for it a little bit but also yeah. like understandable if you're a network trying to sell a show but um, it, it could also just be another thing about times right where we're exposed to sci-fi in a much right. more commonplace and run-of-the-mill kind of way like it's so common right it's not yeah. a niche audience it's not a niche 
uh, entertainment segment, right? Sci-fi exists yeah. everywhere. So like we're familiar with the concepts of space travel as they're presented on TV. Yeah. Even through Star Trek, like not having watched Star Trek is still such a huge part of pop culture. Totally. So I wonder if we would have disliked it more if we were brand new to it and having to right. basically go where no man has gone before. <laughs> right. Like if we like we have so much exposure to yeah. science science fiction as a genre with Star Trek being a foundational part of yes. modern science fiction on television. Whereas like for a new audience watching this in the 60s, this is totally brand new. So they exactly. need a bit more handholding. Yeah. Like totally. maybe the word warp didn't even mean anything but like to have, you know, for example, heat melt plastic. Yeah. Something. Right. Yeah, totally. That like to us that's just like, oh, that's faster than light travel. Mm -hmm. um, but to that audience then that it means nothing. It's it's a new it's a new thing. Um I mean, we right. do have to acknowledge that whatever they did worked because this show did yeah. very well. Right. So. Yeah. Like it, yeah. you know, we're saying like, ugh, ugh, but uh, like it obviously <laughs> took off and it exactly. worked and that's why we're talking about it. Exactly. Um, right. Well, we so have our preferences. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah, totally. So there's a bit more handholding, but they pass through the blue purpley thing and there's like multicolor. Honestly, it felt a bit like um, 2001. Um, oh my God, it's full of stars. <laughs> but I can't, I think that movie came out afterwards. So maybe uh, 2001 is referring to this scene. Anyway, um, trippy colors, lots of trippy colors. Um, and then things start like taking a turn to, to not good things um control panels start like bursting into flame yeah um and the ship's like shaking and i think mitchell does he get shocked by a panel somehow he like ends up on the ground having so you have like cut scenes to elizabeth zaner having like she almost looks like right. she's like turned to stone for a brief second like yeah she gets zapped <laughs> yeah and then she sort of tips over and then you have the same thing happen with um gary mitchell as well where you have like a moment of him being sort of frozen in his his current position and it looks like he's made of stone for a sec and then he tips over yep. and people are falling over here and there things are catching on fire lots of like zip zap whatever short circuits and spocks is spocks giving instructions on what to do at lots of like activity on the bridge to try and contain yeah. the situation but I do want to bring it back to some of our observations from previous episodes which you know if this was a pilot it would be new to people but it's still very measured and it's quite like unhurried and unfrenzied <laughs> considering like people are dropping over and you're still yeah. doing commands like like I think I'm speaking faster than they were yeah. right now <laughs> that, like giving orders of like oh you know you guys should do this now but like somebody tips over in front of you with a yeah, right. fire beside you yeah. so I, I thought that was pretty entertaining for myself <laughs> <laughs> it's a little like there's panic but it's not quite enough panic. the only reason you know it's panic is because you're seeing actual flames and the music right. the music and is the, intense the music. emergency music yeah and it's I think the camera might be shaking a little bit or something. A little right? bit, I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Um, but right, so, you know, that that happens. There's chaos, there's flames. People are running around sort of to, to put stuff out. And uh, Kirk actually takes the helm at one point and then they've passed through. They've, they've, you know, emerged on the other side and he bends down to help Gary Mitchell who's fallen to the ground. And, uh, and he's like, you know, Mitchell, are you okay? Um, and he sort of, lifts him towards the camera to face the camera and Gary Mitchell opens his eyes and they are sparkly 
like, um, I actually like yeah I spent the entire rest of the episode being like I wonder how they did that is that contact lenses because that does not look healthy if they were no I don't think so. <laughs> don't don't put that in your eyeball um or I mean, if it's like a special effect in post I honestly I don't know how they did it um, I think it would have to be because like that was not just his pupil it was his whole eye I'm gonna look it up actually I'm gonna see while we're talking I am yeah, going to go for it. um look up Star Trek yeah where no man has gone before eyes sparkly eyes <laughs> special uh, this is probably not one of the special effects but yeah at the same time Kirk does check in with the doctor because she seems to be more conscious than Mitchell is and asks her what happened and she's like it felt like an electric charge hit her and that she's on in shock but she's still alive and then they check in with the rest of the ship and find out nine crew members actually died mm-hmm. and uh, like the previous ship essentially somebody has survived in this case there's two somebodies one is Elizabeth Daner and the other is Gary Mitchell and only Gary Mitchell has the crystal eyes um right okay so back to the crystal eyes and how they did it on uh <laughs> i've never seen this forum before but it's called the trek bbs <laughs> mm-hmm. someone asked this question uh back in 2000 and something 2004 this question was raised mm-hmm. and kirk 1980 username <laughs> kirk 1980 has responded that they were in fact contact lenses they were called scleral lenses, which it sounds like Whoa. is actually two contact lenses with a, shin, a thin sheet of foil between the layers of the lens, and then they poked a pinhole through. Um, my eyes are watering just reading this. Um, this and is a, terrible. I know. And so apparently they're very uncomfortable. They got hot. Um, and a side effect is that so um, later on in the series I, or in the episode, I really noticed this. Gary Mitchell keeps tilting his head back and it like it comes off as being kind of arrogant but also there's something weird going on and apparently it's because he had to do that in order to see out of these lenses like (laughs) there was something about how they fit on him that he had to do that with his head in order to see out of them um and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah okay I'm gonna have to stop reading because my eyes are literally wadding um but yeah so that's that uh that's how that works so uh I actually looked them up as well and this is for people who can't wear contact lenses because their corneas have interesting shapes they have to potentially consider these scleral contact lenses because they cover the whole surface so you're not as restricted because of the shape of your cornea or whatever right okay yeah, so they're functionally oh. replacing the irregular cornea with this oh. perfectly smooth optical surface to correct oh. vision problems. Oh. It's mean, the magic of medicine. Oh, I know, it's out. great, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just rubbing my eyes now. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot oh. how creeped out you are by eye stuff. But, oh my know. God, like, thank God I don't need glasses or because con- I can't do contact lenses and I get, I would just, you know, and I just suffer through glasses. I can't yeah. do contact lenses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Watching people do things with their contact lenses is horrifying. I can um, see that. Can't handle it. Don't like contact lenses. Uh, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah, not for everyone, but good for Gary Mitchell slash the actor who played Gary Mitchell for committing and almost like inadvertently building it into his characters. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but it was pretty sparkly. Like it was quite quite a sight to behold. Super sparkly. Yeah super sparkly um, so at this point they realize that the ship is no longer able to warp it's pretty it's taken a pretty bad hit and yeah. they're not able to do much and they're basically starting to hypothesize that this is what's destroying the valiant or had the destroyed the valiant yeah. although it's interesting to me again that this has happened 200 years ago right and they're um. the first to hear of it that's pretty amazing right right like i guess the valiant just like 
disappeared and no one ever went after it and found pretty much out. yeah um, pretty much i was gonna say i was gonna say oh yeah um i think like what was really like we've said you know it was a bit handholdy this episode but what i liked for explaining the warp drive and saying like we don't have warp now it's like earth bases or planets you know that are habitable or like stations or whatever civilization mm-hmm. that was once like you know days away is now years away and it's mm-hmm. like yeah like there you go man that you know if you were worried if you if you didn't understand what warp was that's what it is <laughs> exactly no I think that was a helpful sort of like thing to throw in there again thinking of when it was mentioned and also just yeah. as a reminder of like space you know, travel well yeah exactly you might take a lot of sci-fi concepts for granted Granted. and understand them but like this is like you know how you have those um comparisons to common everyday things trying to explain the difference between a million and a billion where like mathematically you know the difference but when you translate it to terms that are more like impactful and meaningful to you on your in your human experience on a daily basis like it hits harder yeah and so you know warp speed is really fast but how fast oh that fast that fast yeah (laughs) yeah no it was great it was perfect um so that's like I I feel like that sort of upped the tension a little bit it didn't really stick around like they didn't beat it over the head or anything but But they um, also didn't utilize it massively right like we didn't feel that they needed to be able to transport at warp speed because there was no situation in which that felt like they had to get away yeah exactly so right. like it was cool to know that it had happened and in, in, in in the sense of like this is creating a sense of emergency but it never really had much of a payoff necessarily yeah um and the doctor basically explains to everyone that the people who died it was because their neural neural networks were essentially fried, fried. yeah and then parts of their brain burned right <laughs> out so yeah. brain anyone yeah um <laughs> And then I think Spock is doing this research and he basically finds out. So we, when ESP came up previously, the doctor mentioned that because um, Kirk turns to her as like a psychiatric expert about what she knows and things about ESP. And she like yeah. clarifies that it's extrasensory perception. And she talks about how it is something that they test for. Yeah. And, and that, she tests pretty high. high. But that people who do test high, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't right. really translate into anything. Yeah. But then when Spock's like looking through all the test scores, he find that finds that Mitchell and Dana are both higher ESP scoring individuals. And it sounds like they're the only ones who survived. Right. Basically sort of like concluding that that has something to do with why. Yeah. And is this why they're okay? And like, is this why the captain on Valiant was also looking up the ESP scores for all the different crew members to understand mm-hmm. who did or didn't survive it? So yeah. We're getting a hint of something that something. is beyond the ordinary. <laughs> ESP. <laughs> I know. And then they call it Esper for a while. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, oh, please don't. <laughs> Your Esper score. Yeah. Because ESP is trying too many syllables. to make fetch a thing. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Mitchell's in the sick bay, the med bay, whatever it is, and he's just like zipping through some books. Yeah, um, reading tape. at lightning speed. Although I was like, is he really eating, reading, or is he just like um, turning the pages? Yeah, is this like the Star Trek equivalent of the Death Scroll here? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, so Kirk visits him, asks how he's doing, and here is where we get a sense of their history. Yeah. because it sounds like Kirk was an instructor for yeah. Mitchell, and Kirk and, was acknowledged as being like 
uh, a tough instructor who forced them to think. How think. Scary. He was an intellectual person, right? Like, here we go. Here's with the Gary Sue again. Like, yeah. not only is Kirk like stunningly handsome, well, I think he is. Um, <laughs> he's also fantastic at chess and an intellectual who likes to read Spinoza, which I'm like, God, who's Spinoza again? I don't think I've ever read Spinoza. Look that up. Thank goodness for the internet. Spinoza. Also, I looked it up. I looked it up and it's Gary Stew, not Gary Sue. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Although I like stick- Gary Sue better. <laughs> I like Gary Sue better and I'm going to stick with it. Um, and Spinoza was a uh, Dutch philosopher. Um, oh God. Okay. Yeah. It's philosophy. There we go. That's all I need to know. I don't care to go any further <laughs> into that, but so Spinoza. Mm. Um, right. So we get the sense that Kirk is an intellectual instructor. And then we find out that Mitchell like set him up with a blonde little lab tech or something. I forget mm-hmm. exactly how she described. And Kirk's like, that was you. And he's like, <laughs> I, I almost married, married her. her. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and it gets a little bit like starts to get a little bit more obviously creepy at this point because Mitchell's yeah. like, you know, I'm having the time to read everything I want. I have so many ideas. And like in the context of having ideas, it's how he presents the fact that he you know encouraged this blonde tech to interact with Kirk for Mitchell to basically pass the class without having to do too much work right and then he alludes to having so many more ideas all sorts of ideas now and like basically initially jokingly and then the second time more threateningly he reminds Kirk to be good to good him, to him. Yeah. because of his blonde lab tech I believe yeah or just and, like it yeah. starts off with that and then it becomes more of a threat of like you know, I can do stuff I, I can ideas. do stuff now so yeah. you gotta be good to me how are you gonna be good to me yeah um yeah. right and then uh his buddy comes in at this point Kelso and is like I'm on a coffee break how you doing and Mitchell's like go check the something I don't know that no, sounds that was, like that was later that was later. oh was it oh, okay I'm joking yeah, yeah. so Kirk is going back, goes back to the ship, and Spock is basically watching Mitchell on video camera. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. And like he's reading faster and faster and faster as time passes. And basically, Spock says that he's his power is growing. Um, And then we have this like amazing moment where (laughs) um, Spock is watching Mitchell read at speed. And then (laughs) Mitchell looks right at the camera, like, I know what you're doing. I know you're watching. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. so creepy like yeah. so ultra creepy and Mitchell's facial expressions like I have to give kudos to this actor he does yeah you know again in the vein of all the theatrical acting we've spoken about previously like he plays up that like mm-hmm, I'm so creepy yeah really well um yeah so that's what we have here is uh Spock's a little bit intimidated and then um Dinner, who at this point in my notes I've referred to as ESP Doctor because I did yes. not know her name. <laughs> uh, that's when she goes down to the med bay as well, and uh-huh. she's asking how he feels, and she seems like more uh, less scared about the unknown and more sort of excited about what's happening because it's like she's sort of like excited to learn, and so she asks Mitchell how he feels, and Mitchell basically starts to exhibit. Um, powers i guess which she refuses to acknowledge as powers but he is able to manipulate machinery manipulate readings read minds and at one point and this was like a little harder to believe and or weirder but he 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 exhibits that he's able to manipulate sort of like the monitoring machinery that's like showing Mm -hmm. how healthy he is or isn't because everybody's expecting to have him to have more outward 
symptoms of having been sort of fried for a second. Yeah. And he, he knows this, like he's able to read this and pick up on this. And so at one point he takes all the dials on the display thing behind his head and pushes them to zero and apparently dies for 22 seconds, 20 seconds, according to the other lady. Yeah. Which like 22 seconds didn't actually pass within the, like the, sh- the show, but maybe there it's was space yeah. time. <laughs> it's space time. That's right. What am I talking about? <laughs> they don't even use seconds in space anymore. They just like yeah. made that convention in the script so we could like follow along or something. Totally. It's for <laughs> us as normies. That's right. Um, yeah. But even so, I thought his power was to manipulate like the dials, not yeah. Like, if you not were in himself. a hospital, if you somehow manage to take an EKG and make it a flat or whatever that machine is. Sorry, I'm going to show my complete ignorance right now. But basically, the machine that has the the, the heart dials. thing yeah if you were the healthometer the healthometer <laughs> if you're able to turn it to zero for a second would the patient die because the display isn't working like right, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> or am i like so off off base here no. with my medical knowledge <laughs> it was it was very ambiguous like did he actually die or did he just manipulate the healthometer well she thinks that he died um and but what like <laughs> Yeah, it was it was an interesting sort of brief second of displaying his power, yeah. but the but the point basically was that he he can do stuff now. He can do shit now. It's sketchy stuff that he can yeah. do. Yeah, um, yeah, and and this is when the other guy drops in that you were saying. All right, okay, um, and uh, it's like you know, uh, came to see you on my coffee break. How's it going? And Mitchell's like, get the freak out of here um the spark plugs are about to burn out like it's mm-hmm. it's space tech i don't even know what it is but it's kind of like there's you know something's wrong with this piece of equipment you looked at it mm-hmm. um but you need to change it because it's going to blow up if you actually use it and, and he gets kind of angry he's like kelso like you know go, don't go laugh do or this. Yeah. go do it like go fix it like take me seriously i know all the things also right. I missed, missed one thing here this is where she talks about overcompensating because he talks about right. how he reads everything super fast and she like quizzes him on a specific page, yeah. a specific tape. And it's apparently one of the most romantic and Dick. passionate sonnets yeah. written in the last century. And he like, and, yeah. Yeah, when she died, when he dies, she like goes into like listen to his chest or whatever and he like resuscitates himself and then is holding her and holding her hands. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's very romantic that the tension yeah. the romantical tension in the room yeah. goes yeah. up um and, and he's also pretty insistent on asking her if she's feeling anything that he's feeling because yeah all, she's she's gone through the same thing and she says she's yeah. fine but yeah. he, he doesn't seem to believe her either. but yeah he's yeah. not buying it um they get around interrupted by kelso and the spark plugs um kelso leaves and i think at this point she asks him well how did you know and he's like the yeah. image of the spark plugs space spark plugs um was still in his mind he'd looked mm-hmm. at it and just hadn't you know registered it or whatever that they were going to burn out so now mm-hmm. we're getting the sense that like he can read minds and and get general impressions from people um so that's also like oh godlike power mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then um Kirk and Spock are sitting around this gigantic conference table and just talking about what the next steps are and they're a little bit worried about like whether Mitchell is still the Mitchell that they know and love or Or he's transforming into something else and doctor walks in at this point and she's sort of she seems fascinated more than anything else right like basically at this point Spock and 
Kirk to some extent, but although he's sort of like straddling both sides, yeah. um, are indicating that this is no longer the human that they know and love. Yeah. And this is something else, a mutant, something with more power. And she's They're like, concerned. well, yeah. And then she's like, so what? Isn't being a mutant like a good thing? Because she like, it's essentially an argument about whether Mitchell is human or not. And she is sort of in awe of his mutant powers and she thinks it's a good thing. And isn't it a better thing for humans to evolve and be yeah. more powerful? Aren't we looking at a better type of human essentially is what she's implying. Yeah. Which is a little bit eugenics-y, a little Feels bit a little like mutant-y. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was just gonna say like, so kind of um, a spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, by the end of the episode, she has also started developing these powers and has gone all sparkly-eyed. Um, and she says towards the end, like, it just took longer in me to develop. So it occurs to me now, you know, like I said, oh, the lady doth protest too much, you know, like, it sounds, it kind of reads as if she's fallen in love with him and, mm. you know, is getting really agitated on his behalf because she loves him. But mm -hmm. now I'm wondering, like, did she, you know, feel the first stirrings of this development in herself and this is also like it's going to happen to me and I need to you know get ahead of this because like it's happening to me too um yeah and my thought actually was also it could be a combination of both where she's like already someone who sort of buys into ESP buys right. into manipulation and power and you know evolving and superhumans and whatever but also she interacts with Mitchell a lot more than anyone yeah. else. She's hanging out with him more. She's curious. She wants to learn from him. And because we know Mitchell is like so powerful and growing in power and is manipulating the ship and manipulating the crew to some extent and having a good time with it, could he have also been influencing her and her yeah. sort of perception of him and her perception of what's happening to him and how she reports back to the rest of the crew? Because like she's sort of like, becomes the expert on how he's doing right and she's yeah. like only partially conveying what he's doing yeah. to the rest of the ship and like she's hiding his powers essentially and like when Kirk gets mad at her for not being open about it she talks about that's when she like explicitly says basically that a superior mutant human being is a better thing and a better mm -hmm. human being is a good thing like this is something we should be aspiring to and then at this point we get our sole Sulu dialogue in this entire episode yeah where he talks about how the powers are increasing geometrically and we get mm -hmm. another explanation here in very pilot fashion but basically the implication is that left unchecked mitchell will be undefeatable undefeatable phenomenal cosmic power <laughs> <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> pretty much yeah and kirk's nervous he says let's keep this here let's not talk about anything else and with with anyone else and spock's like we can't take him back to earth we yeah. need to dump him somewhere because he's dangerous yeah kirk's not okay with it like i think spock specifically recommends um, a planet called Delta Vega, where yep. there's no human life, but it seems to be sort of a colonized planet where right. they have it's industrialized sort of like... somehow. Exactly. It's like a mining installation. Exactly. Manned most of the time. And Kirk's like, even ore ships only visit like once, once every, every 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Spock escalates his feedback to don't just dump him, kill him. Kill because him. Because yeah. this isn't Mitchell anymore. And Kirk's like, dude, but my friend. And Spock's like, um, no, he's dangerous. He's not your friend. And Kirk's like, yeah, Spock, yeah. feel some emotion. And, and Spock's, Spock's like, like, no. <laughs> that's what the captain of Valiant did. Waited too long and look where that got them. Yeah, totally. Harsh, yeah. but But there. so true. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, Spock's been listening to the tapes. He's conveyed it to everybody else. 
like circumstantially we can assume that this is exactly what happened to the valiant with a crew member becoming like super esp powerful and then the ship gets destroyed so like to me it's like spock sees this very clearly and in the back of his mind it's like we are all gonna freaking die Mm -hmm. unless we get rid of mitchell and we need to get him off this ship either we dump him or we kill him like that's it Um, yeah yeah, and it like it you know um I don't really feel like turned off by that I'm like no man I'm with you on this we need to do something now Kurt come on like I understand the humanity of like not wanting to hurt somebody that you still have emotional ties to because you have a history with them like I recognize that but there is some like again I guess this is the moral quandary for this particular episode as they have with you know one issue yeah, every episode yeah. it's very much about like individual versus community and like you know for the greater good it makes sense to dump Mitchell as fast as you can because you know you're looking at it could go well but it doesn't seem to be there's no hints that that's going to be what happens it, it's like going poorly it's going yeah. south it's a danger and time is of the essence like it totally, totally is right you can't yeah. wait too long you got to make a choice because as we've learned his power is growing geometrically so yeah. <laughs> there's there's mathematical danger ahead right which i'm kind of like sulu how did you measure that <laughs> he just knows what, what are you measuring is this his reading speed or <laughs> is Probably. it a checklist do you Probably. have an esp checklist somewhere <laughs> Well, maybe he meant the reading speed alone because maybe. that's all you need. Yeah, maybe you that's all you one need. Variable. That's a, right. That's a proxy. That's that's a pretty good indicator for the entire suite of ESP abilities that yeah. um, he is beginning to exhibit. Yeah. Okay. Retraction. Sulu retraction. Carry on. Sulu knows everything. We Sulu knows. Sulu knows. How would I know? Sulu knows. So Exactly. Yeah. So at this point, okay. they set course to Delta Vega and they're like acknowledging again that it's completely isolated and they're basically going to transport him down and maroon him there. And um, they are walking into Mitchell's Bay. And as they walk in, they watch him basically doing co- telekinesis for fun With, like, where he like cups. Yeah, he's just getting himself some water with his brain because he can. <laughs> um, and it's Kirk. Um, and in my notes, I've referred to her as Dr. Lady right now because I'm still struggling with her name. But yeah. we have Kirk, Dr. Lady, and Spock witness this. And, yeah. you know, I think for Kirk and Spock, this is like their first real exposure to, to, to the yeah. manifestation of his powers, right? And Mitchell just seems to be like kind of on a bit of a a villain high of like how villainous he could be like a power high I guess yeah totally I'm gonna scare the shit out of you here we go yeah and he's excited about it and he's like he senses worry in Kirk's mind knows a Spock would rather he be killed but like he's he's like I'm powerful I can do whatever the hell I want and I'm not gonna go to Delta Vega like I don't know what it is I don't know what I can accomplish there what if I need more ships more people that I can use to get stronger like a god and everyone's like uh use excuse me and I think Mm -hmm. that's maybe sort of like the final nail in the coffin of this is a bad bad path for him to be going down so Kirk elbows him pretty effectively yeah I think he's aiming for the kidney I don't think he actually makes contact with the kidney but that's fine because whatever Kirk's got super pointy elbows yeah and he partially incapacitates him and then they medicate him him. unconscious and force him 
he's walking himself, but basically walk him to the beaming pad. Yeah, right. <laughs> and manage to like sort of prop him up on the pad long enough to beam oh, he him comes down. back to life. Like he, oh, right. Wakes, yeah. Wakes he's back resisting. Up. Yeah. He's like, it's not going to happen. And he said something else creepy about being a God or being powerful. And then Piper, the other doctor has to like stick another needle in him yeah. and re-incapacitate him. And then they are able to beam down to Delta Vega. And at this point, my thought is, why do they need, they need people to take him down. I get it. This dude's powerful. But why are you basically taking like the five most powerful people on right? the ship Yeah. Like, why don't you just send some red shirts down? Why is Spock going? Why is Kurt going? Like, <laughs> and Piper and the other doctor, right. like it's all your, you know, heads of departments essentially. And don't you have expendable people you can send missions on? <laughs> Well, it doesn't even have to be expendable. It's like they're capable enough, but if they died, like yeah. this is gonna suck for everyone. Everybody, yeah. Or is it? Because Kirk may be a shit captain. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Um. You know that <laughs> we should should pull the rest of the crew. How they feel about Kirk. exactly? Survey. How do we like? Yeah. These people? How do we Are like? Are we Kirk? happy they went down to Delta Vega? <laughs> Don't <return>? come back. <laughs> But yeah, so we have um, quite a few people actually. The landing party is not not small. Um, yeah. Down on Delta Vega, and then uh, I'm forgetting his name. Kelso is like basically trying to figure out how to use the resources on the planet to fix the ship. And they have a conversation which I had a hard time following, but maybe you caught more of it. But basically, Kirk is instructing Kelso to build a kill switch to blow it up yeah, from afar. Right. Yeah, so the idea is that um, worst case scenario is they might have to evacuate really quickly, leave Mitchell behind, and then blow the crap out of the installation and kill Mitchell. So he has Kelso, Kelso um, build uh, a little, like, I, didn't, I thought it was like a remote switch, but maybe it's more just like you hold the button down and then as you're beamed up, you let it go kind of. Anyway, some sort of way to instigate uh, a deadly explosion to but what's kill to Mitchell. Stop, what's to stop Mitchell from just doing that while they're still in there? I know, like it, it feels, you know, when you examine it a bit more, it's like, well, Mitchell's supposed to be like an all-powerful god who can yeah. see everything now. So, you know, this doesn't feel like it would work, but maybe it's like, it's sort of a gamble that he he doesn't know everything and so it is a worst case scenario yeah yeah like it's it's pretty desperate um and it like it ultimately is not employed as we'll see in a moment um Mm -hmm. but that's like you know kirk means business he means business it's business time kill switch kelso he's he's willing to destroy this mining thing yeah in order to keep everybody (laughs) safe basically yeah but yeah, so they stick Mitchell in this like restricted so, area, which we can't see any any like anything that's actually physically holding him in through this doorway. And as now, you know, veterans of season one, yes, um, we have seen multiple append, uh, attempts to capture people. They yeah. had in the cage where it was like this glass wall zoo yep. exhibit, exhibit thing. And but with Charlie, it was just a force field, and that did not go so well. No, so, that didn't work. So I didn't expect it to yeah. work here, but it but does. But now it makes sense, though, because if this was the pilot, then the yes. fact that it, they used it on Charlie is because it worked on worked. God. Yes, Mitchell. right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but basically, you don't see anything. But then when Mitchell basically tries to come at them it becomes this force field that knocks him back and he as he pushes harder to try and get out of it 
it there's like a brief moment where his eyes go back to normal because he's lost his Drained. powers yeah and then he gains them back because i guess his godlike state is learning how to defeat this force field as a deterrent mm-hmm. um and while in there mitchell reminds that reminds kirk that he took a poison start for him on a previous mission and almost died for him and you know tries to manipulate him emotionally because i guess the god is basically seeing that that's that's kirk's weak spot and that's what's yeah. manipulatable and asks like why are you trying to kill me now i saved your life and kirk acknowledges that that happened but then he also says that mitchell called them insects essentially yeah like in terms you can't of, like, really trust you anymore them. yeah yeah to which mitchell says that it was under the influence of drugs yeah which kirk acknowledges drugged. yeah but I don't know how that's defensible because it's not the only thing he said and it's not the only thing totally. that alluded to this. Basically, yeah. it's sort of accepted as an explanation. Yeah. But um, Mitchell essentially at this point says something to the effect of, I didn't remember exactly, but something to the effect of how having two people who were ESP right. affected yeah. by this is essentially sort of like an indication that this is what's meant to happen and right. those two mutants are because by virtue of being better than humans are basically like destined to get more powerful yeah. and like the you know these all-powerful beings like because it's two of them and not just one this yeah. is like a sign or a yeah. natural progression yeah massive hint that um dr daner is uh yes. hasn't escaped unscathed um yeah i noticed that too and i was like oh wait wait wait, wait. but i didn't pick it you know it's like that's kind of weird but i didn't immediately think like oh dr danner is infected as well um i have to say for the line about the it's like something i think they're rodents he says like those giant rodents i took a dart for you and kirk says and almost died i remember i distinctly remember watching like that line the first time i ever watched this episode and just like thinking it's like a beautiful delivery from the actor who plays um gary mitchell i think his name is gary lockwood i creeped him on imdb just now mm-hmm. um he's frank pool in uh 2001 a space odyssey which i was like what yes he totally <laughs> is um so that's super cool but just the way he delivers that line and um william shatner kirk responds with and almost died i remember like i that sticks out of my mind is just like this fantastic little piece of of film of like dialogue and film and Mm -hmm. and and communication i love it yeah i love it anyway (laughs) no i I think it was like a very well-timed delivery of that sentiment like from a plot perspective like i'm i'm not uh as familiar with these actors or characters and things like i i don't i remember i went to 2001 space odyssey with you one yeah playing and i fell asleep i fully <laughs> fell asleep a because it's long as hell it is long as hell slow and quiet and this was yeah. like a midnight screening or something yes it late i just could not University do it cinema yeah i remember anyway that. so yeah. um like i don't have as much context for each of these characters obviously but like just the timing of it was so yeah. like beautifully manipulative but right. also like it felt honest right, right. It's not, yeah it's not, it's not like he's making shit up to appeal to Kirk's humanity. No. This is yeah. like a legitimate thing that, you know, it's almost like the dregs of Mitchell inside this mutant Mitchell are yeah, feeding just like, Mitchell so yeah. much more obviously in that moment. Yeah, like, wait, you know, wait, mm-hmm. I, you know, we have this history. Please don't write me off so quickly, but I'm also okay. a monster, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. At this point, we still don't know for sure either way whether Elizabeth Daner has any mutant but like, yeah. this is 
one of the clearest hints that that's gonna happen and you know we've had other hints at it but this is like very literal yeah um but yeah so even despite all of this happening with him trying to fight the force we feel losing his power regaining his crystal eyes as measures of his power um what's her face stainer trusts him she essentially says that i don't think he's a bad dude i'm gonna stay here i don't think you should be leaving him behind you guys suck and Kirk essentially is um, upset about this and like he's having a conversation with Spock later about how she as a psychiatrist says she trusts him and so he he feels more inclined to go with her assessment yeah and you know Spock's like derisive about it or uh, basically dismissive of it when Kirk asks why he should listen to Spock over the psychiatrist um like what the psychiatrist thinks and Spock's like precisely because she thinks and you know isn't, isn't she feels and has emotions exactly yeah. and whereas Spock's only relying on logic and this yeah. basically touches on the almost like a secondary story arc of Spock and his lack of feeling emotion yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like it's it's definitely well I guess it's also part of the the um, the fact that it's a plot or a pilot so like we're playing it up a little bit of like you know she feels i don't there's only logic mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh it's pretty blunt mm-hmm. um no, but, but i also uh, fully understand sort of yeah valuing this thought moral emotion humanity trait as like this because it's often not necessarily just in media but like generally it is often looked on as what differentiates us from the animals so to right speak, or like yeah. what you know alludes to why our species is what it is and what yeah. makes us quote-unquote superior right or involved well, yeah because we don't always act in self-interest we are very social and are often prepared to mm-hmm. to act against our own self-interest and it's not just that. about survival it's right. also about like quality of yeah life, right yeah so, like social bonds and relationships and maintaining those as like a part of a high quality of life even mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 totally so that was that was an interesting interaction and i presume it'll be built on more in the show even though based on our retroactive episodes two and three that were actually episodes three and four I guess I don't know yeah either way the other two that we've watched I don't think it's as evident that Spock is unfeeling yeah Um, I don't know if they take it any further decide to ditch it what happened but in this particular episode it's like a very highlighted difference and that's interesting to me um, but yeah, and then at this point, Kirk is instructing Kelso to hurt Mitchell if needed, and he's going to be the last one to leave the station while the others depart, and the rest of the landing party is going to start trickling back onto the ship, and again, like, Dinner's enchanted with Mitchell, wants to say, doesn't want to leave, um, is kind of hanging out with him still, yeah. and we don't know if Mitchell knows what's happening with the landing party until now, where he mind controls this thick ass wire (laughs) and gets in a form of lasso loop type thing and basically kills Kelso by strangling strangles him him. it's horrible just loops it around his neck and like pulls him backwards against a console it's awful Kelso pretty freaking dead very Um, dead yeah yeah. and Daner still doesn't believe that Mitchell's evil and um at this point uh, I think they're on the planet now. Oh, no, they're still the ship. Never mind. They're still the ship. And Mitchell reminds her that Kirk should have basically just killed him while he could. Mm-hmm. And at this point, 
he's able to manipulate the force. So he's feel, still behind the force field and the lady doctor and Kirk are on the other side. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think he's become powerful enough to overpower the force field, but hasn't played his hand yet. Yeah. But when he says that Kirk should have killed him while he could, he essentially electrocutes Kirk through the force field yeah. and casually just like walks out because it no longer affects him and yeah. takes, takes Lady Doctor with him. And at this point is when her eyes turn sparkly. Yeah, there's like the, you know, the, the reveal is her eyes have gone all sparkly, right? Exactly. So he zaps Kirk and he also zaps Spock, who has this big laser yes. pulse rifle or something. Yes. Um, dun, dun, and, dun. Uh, and they disappear. And then I think it's Dr. Piper, whatever yes. the bones stand in, comes in and revives Kirk and he goes to revive Spock. And Kirk's like, no, give me a second. Um, I'm going to go after them. Did you see where they went? Yeah, they went that way. Okay, I'm going to go after them. I'm taking the pulse rifle. If you haven't heard from me in 12 hours, get the freak out of here and bombard this planet with like deadly radiation. That's an order. Um, okay, now you can revive Spock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, <laughs> and then go to the off. nearest Earth base ASAP and yeah. don't, don't disobey me. I'm the boss. Yeah, I'm the boss, Mark. Yeah, he calls it Mark. It's, yeah. <laughs> And so Mitchell and Elizabeth are just like wandering around the planet. And I guess Elizabeth has a little bit of hesitation about the planet and life on it because it yeah. looks pretty sparse, even though it is a habitable planet. It's just yeah. that there's nobody it's there. It's not really habited. <laughs> and then godly Gary Mitchell basically starts to grow a bunch of plants with waves of his hand. And Woo! Elizabeth is like floored. She's so enchanted. Like, wow, wow isn't so pretty. Um, and so they're very excited about it. There's also a little pool of water and Mitchell lets Elizabeth know that she'll soon be able to do the same things because I guess she's going to progress around the same, along the same path that he has been he is, so yeah. far. Um, and he immediately senses that Kirk's in the vicinity and Kirk's wandering around with the giant gun that Spock asked for. And like he briefly starts rolling boulders to try and hurt Kirk. And at that point also tells Elizabeth that she'll enjoy being a god. And basically this is reaffirming things that have mostly been hinted at prior that he is not just becoming stronger but almost like reveling in this powder and this power yeah, totally and wanting to be the most powerful and worship for the power and this gets like very very explicitly and literally yeah. addressed later on as well and at this right. point he's starting to create food for them to eat they're eating something called kefarian apples apples which are really literally literally <laughs> looks like a papaya that's i was just gonna say papaya exactly. like, it's a papaya that's yeah. a papaya you splash some red and green food coloring yeah. on the outside to mix it up a little bit exactly that's it's actually an apple you're wrong but oh yeah yeah or like you know it's a papaya <laughs> as we like to call them in our house the papaya um, um definitely yeah. um and then as they're like eating these papayas papayas <laughs> um they tell kirk to come to them he's basically broadcasting his voice across the area yeah. And at that point, Elizabeth acknowledges that she can also see him. She's gaining yeah. power. She's really yeah. in her mind. And he encourages her to go find Kirk and basically, you know, continue growing her power. And yeah. so she goes to Kirk, confirms that this is what you were saying earlier, that, you know, it happened to her as well. It just took a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Kirk is basically trying to capitalize on the fact that she hasn't fully become evil, God yeah. lady, and is trying to appeal to her humanity. Um, for, for psychiatry you're still a psychiatrist what yeah it's gonna happen well that's he a second me. resort he's first yeah. resorting to humanity like you're a human being he is still has yeah. a bit of human in him and she's like nothing that they're doing is wrong 
earth is unimportant um you know we're mutants and powerful and this is like logical progression this is a good thing and kirk's like but remember mitchell was like making jokes about compassion his compassion's not a thing and she's like but humans are frail and he's like wait but mitchell still has human in him still his frailty may result in him being like um a god prone to human feelings upsets feelings exactly and then when this still doesn't work is when he appeals to her as a psychiatrist because you know your profession is definitely something to appeal to and she's like you you study (laughs) you study brains yeah brain messed up (laughs) yeah um and essentially like ends with what's your prognosis of him doctor yeah oh my gosh what's your prognosis doctor but this seems to get through to her in in a more impactful way yeah yeah Yeah, it's really funny She doesn't give a shit about humans, but she cares about brains. Brains, yeah. Um, and I think this is when uh, Mitchell appears on the scene. Yes. Um, and Kirk does this amazing, fantastic roll yeah. with his pulse rifle and then brings it up to bear and shoots Mitchell. And of course, it has zero effect. And Mitchell just sort of waves his hand. All while does... asking Elizabeth to hang on to the woman inside her. A little yeah, bit. right. He's saying like, you know, Elizabeth, hang on to the person inside you. And Mitchell throws the gun away and then um has obviously like lost his patience with kirk at this point like fine i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna murder you and so goes through this like theatrical um i'm gonna loosen this big ass boulder up on the hill behind me oh i've dug you a grave oh look here's your headstone james kirk um and i'm gonna kill you but first you're gonna worship me as a god and like you know Mm -hmm. drags kirk to him and forces him to kneel and pray or put his hands in a prayer position and kirk's like you know shrieking at the doctor like you know come on like (laughs) is this doing would like do you like what you see um one god he's jealous do you think he you know the two of you are actually going to he basically implies that the two of them will become so powerful they won't be able to tolerate each other and one of them Mm -hmm. will try and murder the other and so that's what he's saying is like you know you're not safe he's crazy you might be going the same way um you know is this really what you want kind of thing and elizabeth actually asks mitchell to stop at this point because she does yeah but then mitchell's like she's feeling there's morality and he's like morals are for humans not not gods gods. yeah and yeah so like you said kirk is asking her if she likes what she sees absolute power corrupts and she's sort of starting to see that and then we have like a god fight basically um where she sticks her hands out at him essentially like she's hoarding holding a power orb in between her palms and like pushes it out at him and then they have a force fight and you know they've been hit because they turned purple glowing uh, yeah totally and then <laughs> she's purple-y. exhausted from expanding power falls to the ground it seems to affect him too mitchell because he yeah for a little bit and falls back and that's kind of like the moment for kirk to step in because now he's more human mitchell is susceptible and more vulnerable to traditional attacking and so kirk starts punching him and elizabeth's like we don't have much time and kirk's getting into this fist fight and um kirk uh sorry gary's back to sparkly eyes now and like they're rolling and fighting and pushroom pushroom and then they fall into the grave while fighting um and somehow kirk manages to escape out of the grave while mitchell's still in the grave and then he shoots his gun at like a rock face essentially with a lot, bunch of loose boulders and it causes a mini avalanche type thing that buries Mitchell in the grave under the rocks but I guess it's like unex- unexpected enough and Mitchell's weakened enough and like whole confluence of factors that he can't 
push the rocks out and he we presume just, dies yeah. I assumed that he was just like pulped that the rock was big enough that it just like flattened him into a mushy mushy pancake and like he he did he he but wouldn't he be able to stop it potentially like if it really because he's been able to like the, the, the gun didn't shoot him right i get well i mean did he see it coming i guess is the question you know did he see it coming fast enough to react to it or was he still sufficiently weakened from yeah, that's what i was saying the yeah. Sparkly so I think it's fight? The yeah i think it's the yeah. weakening that helped like it's a combination of things it's weakening he's physically hurt as well still yeah. recovering he's also Kirk tired sort of messed him up a little bit it's literally like i said it's the i'm pretty sure it's the most like violent fight in star trek because like kirk gets his shirt ripped which definitely happens in other fights but i mean it's it's like it's cut pretty tightly the the takes are cut pretty tightly there's a lot of like i don't know pretty serious reactions to being struck not mm -hmm. in the way that we've seen before like i don't know it was pretty intense i was like wow like this feels very different from the star trek fights that i remember so like mitchell definitely gets his ass handed to him well, um, i guess i'll find out because yeah first real one because i think any sort of like uh physical encounter we've seen so far my main comment has been that it's like very slowed down whereas yeah. this one not so much like it no. actually maintained a very normal expected pace for this yeah. kind of a scene and it wasn't like overly action choreographed either where it doesn't feel real like it felt yeah. like real people fighting each other in the yeah. way that real people do i guess not that i've ever seen that either <laughs> um, yeah it felt a bit more visceral and less um staged compared yeah. to other star trek fights that we've seen and what we will see <laughs> yeah and at this point elizabeth's still dying i guess she's just expended too much energy she just wasn't as strong and she yeah. makes a comment about how you don't know what it's like to be almost a god, a god. yeah she's kind and of then, like fondly reminiscing on yeah being more powerful which is maybe it's a good thing she's dying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not really torn up about her dying honestly yeah. Yeah. yeah and then uh yeah kirk reaches out to the ship gets beamed back and you know this is the i, I made a note at this point because I, yeah. I finally like fully acknowledged it um that his shirt's torn very artfully and he's got yeah. a little like you know our off scratchy, the shoulder scratchy. i was yeah. just in a fight look that he's you know working real well yep and once back on the ship and cleaned up with his hand bandaged from combat he essentially makes a note to acknowledge that both Dana and Mitchell, Mitchell gave their life on duty and basically want them to be remembered positively rather than uh, as um, negatively because neither of them asked for what happened. Right. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't their fault. Yeah, and at this point, Spock acknowledges that he too felt for them and Kirk is very pleased because yeah. Emotions, emotions matter, matter the mostest. <laughs> yeah, the mostest. The end. Yeah, the mostest. That's right. The emotions matter the mostest. Yeah. There's nothing that matters more. And Spock's slowly becoming not what he used to be and more Kirk like because that is the right way to be. Yeah, very normative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty normative right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely not as much of a moral, uh, like, punch to it that we've seen in previous episodes i feel like the previous episodes had a bit more teeth to them in terms of leaving you feeling a little uncomfortable by the end of like there's this quandary mm -hmm. did we really really resolve it whereas like here feels like you're you know at least i'm was comfortable enough with mitchell and dr daner dying at the end because it was just like they're out of control we there's there isn't really much redeeming them i guess like 
in previous episodes where we've seen that sort of godlike character like Charlie X, um, you know, you get to the end and you realize he's a child and he's panicking mm-hmm. that he's going to be taken back. And, and, you know, there's this sort of wake up moment of like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, this is awful. Like he's done terrible things to us, but he's about to suffer as well. Mm-hmm. We never really get that moment here. Like it's Mitchell not as explicit. Never, yeah. Like Mitchell never really seems to get to that sort of redemptive moment yeah. the same way. Yeah, I have a feeling that, that because this is a pilot, they didn't want to leave it as open-ended. Maybe. Right. Like yeah. they wanted to have a yeah, very yeah, clear, yeah. defined structure and end. And whereas the other ones, you have a conclusion, the plot reaches an end point, but there is like a a fork in the road where you could have gone another way. Yeah. Whereas here, because there's such an immediate threat to their life, it maybe is less of a fork in the road. But I do feel like maybe not as as like effectively or as impactfully as they do in other episodes, but they do kind of get at it with at least for me, the acknowledgement that Mitchell didn't choose that this happened. Yeah, that's true. And so like, we don't feel as bad necessarily because they don't let us stew in that thought because the episode ends almost immediately after. But the other thing is they also make it a point to sort of like, at least for me, the way I'm viewing this as a person today, as a woman today, Mm -hmm. was they kind of made him a bit of a jerk before the thing happened. And so- I, I didn't have as much to sympathize with him because I personally didn't take to him as a human no. either. Right. And they kind of like try to appeal to sympathy in some ways, not necessarily ours, because again, you're getting dropped into an, a continuous timeline. Yeah. But when you have him talk about taking, you know, a poison dart for him, that's sort of like a few glimpses into Mitchell, the good guy, or Mitchell, the yeah. friend, or Mitchell, the crew member. But then you also have that balanced with, unfortunately, him being presented in sort of not the greatest light with him, him being him being pretty icky to women. Yeah. Him using, you know, essentially another woman actually in a different circumstance to manipulate his professor into getting a good yeah, grade. Right. And so it's like he's very black and white, sure, but more heavily tilted to the black than the white in the series of stories that were told about him. Yeah. So I don't think they flesh him out enough as a human prior to his transformation for us to feel that moral quandary Mm -hmm. but I also wonder if the moral quandary isn't just that like to me the part that worked most effectively for me was the reminder that he didn't choose for this to happen all he was was just like someone with a slightly high and it was not even that high of a score it was like 20 out of 100 or something yeah it's p score right and And, you know that made him more susceptible he was just a little bit more vulnerable that's all it was yeah very much a victim of of circumstance mm-hmm. that, you know he was there on this ship they happened to go through this wave thing that like bumps his esp up to a billion and ten yeah um which they don't measure or show us which is interesting yeah like there's no real explanation test, no but if you have a test yeah, to right. measure esp why not measure esp again to actually like see if that's what's i don't know that's actually maybe yeah my my interest in understanding yeah. cause and effect but like it would have been cool to maybe see that esp measurement like explode the esp machine or something that's very sci-fi right yeah totally um, um yeah. <laughs> we also don't get an explanation of the wave which now that i think about it feels kind of interesting like i think in previous episodes we have had a bit more of an explanation of the events like you know charlie's yeah. powers come from the um, the, the Thasians giving the powers to him you Mm -hmm. know whereas we don't really end up with an explanation for the wave at all I think it's just like an energy field and some people are better suited to 
handling that but i guess you're right we don't have an explanation for why kirk wasn't affected at all like why is it only certain people that got zapped versus not others and like it's not a very big proportion because i imagine their crew is probably in the tens, twenties, like up to a hundred, oh, and only that's, I think it's supposed to be something like four hundred people. I think that's and only nine it. were affected, right? Yeah, so it's, right. It's a relatively small proportion if you were to think about it that way. So yeah, yeah, you're right. There's no explanation for that pink, purpley thing. But I was gonna say the other potential maybe thing that they were getting at for the moral quandary portion of the programming was maybe like balancing. This is sometimes a conversation that comes up in the context of scientific discoveries, right? Like mm-hmm. how how you can take something that's seemingly innocent or out of interest and take it to its like scariest conclusion. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps there was a hint of the moral quandary being like, oh, look, we have this cool understanding of maybe ESP, maybe mutation, maybe like mm-hmm. something that sets you apart and is like a mutation, if you were to observe a biological population, possibly like an evolution of the species, but because it's human beings and because we can sort of like read into their thoughts and, you know, like intentions a little bit more clearly because they convey them to us, that's, has the potential of being this horrifying, terrible thing. And like, you know, we don't know that, I don't know, like a rat doesn't have ESP and like if you went through this field, would the rat want to be God? But yeah. how would it exercise that? So I think it's not necessarily powers. moral necessarily, but it's yeah. just like interesting yeah. to maybe think about circumstances as you were saying earlier, but what that means for who had the ESP. Yeah, right. Having said that, I genuinely wish it were a rat now. Yeah. <laughs> had the sparkle eyes because that would be amazing. Right. Totally. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, remember a dream I had um in which uh i met some gorillas who uh had telepathic abilities um amazing and like they were keeping it a secret but i knew about it and that struck me as such a cool idea that like they had telepathic abilities and can practice magic and i was like (laughs) wait like you're not human and you're practicing magic that just struck me as like um an absolutely amazing idea (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's also but it's also like interesting that you went or your subconscious or whatever it is went sort of primate non, yeah, non-human right. primate yeah right? like it wasn't like horses it was like gorilla societies living in the mountains who mm-hmm. had telepathic abilities so i could communicate with them but they also practiced magic mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like kind of human but not <laughs> that needs to be a series perhaps we need to start like a, an offshoot of this for bonus content where we just come up right. with all kinds of plots we just based. come up with like that story yeah i'd be down because yeah. i yeah. remember yeah like that really stuck with me waking up like from that star dream, trek like, inspired a idea <laughs> star trek inspired sci-fi inspired parallel plot development that yeah. would be pretty funny we're copywriting that i swear to god if any of our <laughs> listeners take this and make it into an award-winning show i want credit <laughs> she will be mad <laughs> i will come after you <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was the episode, kind yep. of like we were saying earlier, I, I presume there's enough that's been said to back up our initial <laughs> claim of it being quite underwhelming. Yeah. Even many... though so okay. much promise with gods, right? Like yeah. so much promise with corrupting of power or through power, yeah. but it was just kind of blah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shall we rate it? How Let's many it. out of five glowy, glowy eyeballs, mm-hmm. how many glowy, glowy eyeballs do you give it? Do you mean five scleral contact lenses? Oh, <laughs> goddammit. You went there. Um, yes, fine. 
<laughs> no, I, I'm okay with glowy, glowy eyeballs. I just wanted to gross you out briefly. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. Anytime. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so um, out of five, I don't know. I feel like rating skills are also a little bit um subjective in that yeah. you're comparing to what you've seen previously. previously so totally. I may give it two ratings actually. Yeah. I may like try to step back and try and rate it as a pilot episode assuming it's nothing else. Yep. And then also as episode four, which is yep. what it is in the Netflix in this, series. Yeah. So maybe as a pilot episode, I would say because of like some of the details that were given, like three eyeballs. Yeah. Like, three and a half eyeballs possibly. Yep. As episode four, it's like a solid two, two and a half for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely leaning towards two, but because it has my favorite little, I took a dart for you and almost died. I remember line thing or me, Bob, it gets a two and a half. That's, mm-hmm. that's that whole little, that little bit right there gets a half eyeball. So two and a half mm-hmm. eyeballs. Yeah. It's very hard to put ourselves in this position, but like, if you could just like suspend disbelief for a second, but, mm-hmm. or suspend belief, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, would you would you green light this show based on this episode versus the cage uh, versus the man right. whatever the one we thought was the real pilot what's her face crater man yeah eater? not man eater man trap the man trap so i guess rank let's let's do this let's right. rank okay yeah cage, man trap and, and no this man one. has gone before as pilot pilot episodes huh well, I would say uh, the man trap, I would probably put at the bottom mm-hmm. out of the three. I think as a pilot, I don't really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, so like, I think I might put, you know what? I would put this one where no man has gone before um, above the cage as a pilot episode because we've got Kirk mm-hmm. and I think as a captain Kirk is is a a more interesting character or at least a more appealing character like if we were stuck with Nicholas or Christopher Pike mm-hmm. like Christopher Pike is not an appealing captain to me I would not be sucked in with like I want to see what Christopher Pike gets up to I do want to get sucked into what is Captain Kirk and Spock getting up to like we don't have bones yet but mm-hmm. um yeah I would say that like none of them are really great as mm-hmm. pilots but i think i would rank where no man has gone before as the best of the three followed by the cage and then the man trap i think i would agree with you that pike was not the most compelling captain from the perspective of the character you want to keep watching yeah but in terms of plot mm. that one and man trap were stronger, stronger. Pilot plots yes. for me yep um, so I would probably put Mantrap as my first choice, actually, oh. because it's a balance between having characters that are likable and yeah. a plot that, to me, I don't know if it's representative of Star Trek, but is much more engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got your little monster, you've got an alien creature. It's like, it checks all the boxes of space for yeah. me as a, as a viewer. Mm-hmm. I would actually probably put the cage second, because again, the aliens and yeah. there's just a better plot to me. Mm-hmm. even though pike's not compelling i can i can pretend that even as a pilot viewer this is obviously not we have no way of verifying this but i can pretend that pike could have like died at the end of the episode and then they switched right. to kirk in subsequent episodes yeah and this one is probably lowest down just because like 
I don't know. There was no excitement. There was no like. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I was very disconnected. Yeah. yeah, I was very disconnected. Like I feel like I checked out so frequently and like oh, really? yeah. got pulled back in because like I heard you laugh at something. I'm like, oh, something happened. I have to yeah. pay attention again. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I could also just say that I'm a sucker for a uh, man having his sweater um, ripped during yeah. a fight. So, I mean, that was kind of like oh, the man. right there. So <laughs> all, all you need is some shoulder, hey? I'm pretty, yeah, you know what? I'm a sucker for Kirk's shoulder. Hey, yeah, a good hey, shoulder. A yep, good shoulder. I'm going to own it. <laughs> but outside of this ranking, I would actually think of all the episodes we've seen, yeah. I think Charlie X would be the best pilot, just objectively yeah you know what I think that should have been a pilot totally because <laughs> the moral at least maybe from the perspective we're viewing it from where yeah. we already kind of know that the goal is to be space cowboys but also with moral so, issues think. yeah it does so well like yes. I remember us coming out of that like charged to talk about totally. it totally so fantastic and not in a way where we want to talk about it to shit on it but like but like are, wow. are engaged by it right like yeah. mentally yeah yeah oh yeah like that last the last like three minutes just kick it up um in such an amazing way mm-hmm. that yeah like I you know that that might have actually been you know like I don't know anything about how um decisions are made but that might have actually been you know I could easily see a studio seeing that and being like no like it's too much if probably this is what yeah. the show is going to be like we're scared off so maybe it's a good mm-hmm. thing it wasn't used as a pilot to pitch the show mm-hmm. but like as the first episode maybe I don't know I don't, was, know. I don't was, know I thought it was a very powerful show and yeah. like to me as an audience today having seen what I've seen that would have been very compelling like totally. easily if it could follow in that vein maybe it would be maybe they'd be setting themselves up too much because it may not be possible to live up to that in every episode so right. there is a pro and con there but like between that and man trap they kind of like Maybe Mantrap is the softer open yeah, in that sense, right. right? Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I thought that was a very, very powerful yeah. moral quandary type totally. situation. Yeah. 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 All right. That's all okay. the ratings, all the rankings. We've done everything we can with four things. <laughs> it's all the permutations and combinations and evaluations and comparisons. <laughs> like milking it for all it's worth. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's the episode, I think. Um, please do subscribe and rate and review and all those things, wherever those things are possible. And next week, we will be watching the fifth episode. And I think now that we're learning about all these inconsistencies, perhaps it's good to clarify that it's the fifth episode in the progression of episodes as it is on Netflix currently. So the fifth Netflix episode so um if you'd like to watch ahead and you know resume learning about how uh poor we are at sticking to the plot accurately or remembering <laughs> names and details yeah please feel free to do so and watching ahead will probably aid you in that greatly yeah <laughs> and yeah we'll be back next time with the next episode so mm-hmm. until then bye bye thanks for listening